I think one of the things that's helpful is to remember that the boundary is for you. So if you are setting a boundary, it's for your own mental health. Now, and that kind of, it doesn't make it easier, but it simplifies the consequences, right? So if people are freaking out about your boundary, well, that doesn't mean it's not hard, but that's not why you set the boundary. You set the boundary because you needed it in order to move forward in your own journey. Welcome to the Thoughts from the Couch podcast. I am your host, Justine Carino, licensed mental health counselor. I am here to lean into conversations about relationships, resilience, and recovery from life's challenges in order to support you on your journey to finding clarity in what you want for your future. We will talk about the things that no one else really wants to talk about in order to help you heal from past wounds and create a life that truly fulfills you. Please note, this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Welcome back, guys. I'm really excited about my conversation today. I am talking with licensed professional counselor Monica DeCristina about the emotional challenges people experience when choosing to separate from their family of origin. It's such a hot topic, and I can't wait to dive in. But first, I want to introduce you to Monica. She's a therapist in private practice in Atlanta, Georgia, and she is also a writer and the host of the podcast Still Becoming and Still Becoming Kids. Monica, Thank you so much for joining me today. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself and the work that you do? Sure. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, You know, I am a therapist and I have a private practice in Atlanta and I work with couples and adult individuals on so many different issues from anxiety and depression to family of origin and healthy boundaries. Um, I have three kids and I'm married um, and we got a pandemic puppy. What's your puppy's name? Her name is Sweetie, which <laughs> it was a it was a family vote, and that's what we landed on. That's adorable. Well, welcome the puppy to the family. So family of origin work is a crucial part of my process when I work with a lot of my clients, as you probably do as well, um, mm-hmm. because the people that raised us have a huge influence over who we are today and how we relate to other people and how we manage our emotions. And so many people want to separate of their family of origin as they start to recognize, maybe recognize, <laughs> as they start to recognize the layers of destruction that many people um, have seen or witnessed while they grow up and they no longer want to be a part of this as they become an adult. So some people grew up in family systems that cause them a lot of pain and trauma, and they want to protect themselves from these difficult relationships as they start to enter adulthood. But this separation from our parents and our siblings or both can cause a lot of emotional stress and can be really hard to navigate. So Monica is going to help us unpack all of this today. So Monica, I'm sure you've had these types of conversations in your own practice as well. I think we should start by talking about the realization process that people go through when they first come to understand that their family or certain people in their family are not good for them. So I'm curious, what could this look like for somebody? It's a fabulous question and it's a wonderful place to start. Um, I think that one of the things that's important to name from the beginning is that a lot of times growing up in our families, we don't know any different. And so then as you're entering young adulthood, um, sometimes that includes college and sometimes that includes maybe making a new group of friends or seeing other families. This can even happen younger. You start to see, wait a second, 
not everybody's family is like this. And, and sometimes that's just interesting, but sometimes it's really informative of, wow, I didn't realize what was happening in my family was pretty hurtful and pretty stressful as I sort of open up my world and see all these other kinds of families out there. And, you know, some of the ways that we can tell is we can start to tell what we feel like with our family of origin versus what we feel like maybe with our new chosen family of friends. You know, you might start to notice that you get more anxious or more stressed when you are returning home for a holiday versus maybe for the first time experiencing a real deep sense of unconditional acceptance with a group of friends. So I think that comparison process is layered, it's long term, um, but it can also be really illuminating about how you will feel about your family you grew up in. That's such a good point. You know, I'm thinking of a story that an old supervisor shared with me once when talking about this in training, saying that when he was a little boy, um, his I think I might be getting this wrong, but I think he didn't cut his peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He would eat it whole, right? So it was never cut. His mom would just give him the peanut butter and jelly sandwich and he ate it whole. He went to play at a friend's house one day and she, the mom served him lunch and she cut it in half and he started crying and was saying, I always eat my peanut butter and jelly whole. Please don't cut it in half. And it's this simple story about how what we see in our family, we're used to and we think is the right way or we just adapt and as we learn about other families and the way other families do certain things, we start to question, oh, was my family right or was my family wrong? And I think that's what you're speaking to is when we start to realize that our family are, our family members are people, right, with dimensions, um, and they're not just mom and dad or brother and sister, and they have their own flaws, we start to see, wow, things in my family maybe weren't done the best way. They weren't a happy functioning family. Um, maybe this could have been done differently. Yes. Yes. I, and I love that example because I think it can be as innocuous and innocent as the way you cut your sandwich, you know, but it can also be as hurtful as, um, you know, realizing that not everyone's parents scream at you when they're stressed, right? It, 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 the whole continuum um, is there. And I think that hopefully what people start to experience if they did have some difficult things growing up is a sense of validation that that was hard. And now I'm understanding why that was hard for me. I love that. I really, really love that. You know, people, a lot of my clients talk about this, usually college age or in their 20s and 30s when they start to realize like, wait a minute, something's up in my romantic relationship and I'm relating it to my past and my childhood. And usually that's like a clue of, is there something unresolved here? Or am I carrying in some kind of baggage into my current romantic relationship that's showing up that I need to kind of work through and put together? So I feel like that sometimes can be a catalyst for change with family of origin work. I think that's a great point. And I think that that's where, you know, a little attachment history um, lesson real quick for the listeners is that, you know, you, you start to attach to your romantic partner as an, as an adult. And so you'll see attachment patterns that you developed as a kid in those romantic relationships. And you're so right. That's when we really start to say, wait a second, what's going on here? Yeah, totally. So I'm thinking, you know, of someone that might be starting this process of my family of origin, there's some unhealthy patterns. I really want to distance myself um, 
in this realization process, they probably start to feel a certain way. Should people be paying attention to how they feel before they see their family members or after they see their family members? Like what kind of signals do they pick up on, you think? Yeah, I think that's a great, great question. And I think, um, again, back to kind of listening to your body and listening to who it is that you're drawn to and who it is that you want to move away from. As simple as that, listening to your nervous system. Are you going into a bit of a fight or flight state by feeling really anxious or really panicked when you think about being with certain family members? Are you wanting to shut down or numb after being with certain family members? These could be indications that you are experiencing a lot of stress that maybe you haven't had the names for. So you you can really start to feel um, before you enter into something while you're there. Do you feel like your boundaries are respected? Are you being mowed over? And then when you leave, what happens when you leave? Are you worn out? Or, you know, does it take a day or two for you to bounce back after being with certain family members? Those are all things to really listen to. Those are great points. And I talk about this a lot, about entrances and exits with my college students that I work with, because it's so confusing to spend the majority of your year away at college, right? But then you know you're coming home for summers or for winter break. So it's like shifting your hat a little bit when you walk back into the house you grew up in. Um, And maybe that's horrible for some people. And especially during this pandemic when a lot of colleges went remote and then students that thought they were, you know, supposed to be away are finding that they had to be home again. And so much got stirred up during that time for people. So it's this interesting life phase and transition where you're very independent and you get to go to college and you're on your own there with your own life and no one's asking you what you're doing or how you're doing it. But then you have to leave that place and come back home and you might be stepping in to um, chaos or patterns of interacting that always made you uncomfortable, but you get a break from while you're at school. So here you are in your house. That can create a lot of anxiety for people as you're talking about this fight or flight response, like thinking of going back home for the summer or for winter break, that could be challenging. Absolutely. And I think that 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 ping ponging back and forth, you know, between your worlds can be really tiring and it's, and it doesn't fix it, but just like you did right now, it's so helpful to name it. I think that once, you know, we can name something, we can really understand it. And it could be as simple as when you walk into your your home, your parents treat you like you're 12 and you're not 12 anymore. You're a grown up. And so, you know, just sort of starting to name that, I think, can help that that difficult transition. Yeah. And recognizing how you feel, even if it's like you see your phone ringing and it's one family member and you're like, oh, like something hurts in your gut. You're like, did something happen? Is something wrong? Why is this person calling me? Or am I in trouble? Like, did I do something wrong? Am I going to be reprimanded? Like that feeling, even when you see their text or their email or that missed call, how do you react? Are you excited to talk to them? Or is there something else going on inside of you? Maybe that could be a clue for some people. Absolutely. I I love that. And I think that just, you know, instead of focusing on so often we're trained to be pleasing and pleasing to our family of origin, instead of focusing on that, just giving yourself permission to actually be honest with yourself about how you feel can be a first step. So Monica, even though people may choose to create a distance or separation from their family, whatever it is that they need, can there also be feelings of sadness attached to this decision? Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, absolutely. I think that grieving people who are alive is one of the most complex and difficult types of grief. You know, you might be 
grieving who you wish your mother was. Um, you might be grieving who your dad is not or who you wish your family was. And it's, it's really complex and hard to be in relationship, but also be sad about what it isn't. Now, again, back to the naming, when we can really say, this is actual grief. You can grieve people that are alive in your life. Again, it doesn't fix it, but it helps you to kind of identify where you are on the emotional map so that you understand what you're experiencing. I love that because a lot of people think grief is just after a death or significant loss, but when you choose to separate or create more boundaries or distance from the people that raised you, there's that grief too. You're losing something there, even though it could be healthier for you to detach in a certain way and in a healthy way, you can grieve exactly what you're talking about. Like this fantasy of the parents you wish you had or the siblings you wish you had or the relationships you wish you had in your own family. And sometimes that could be triggering when you meet other families, you know, your friends and their families and you see them interact and you're like, wow, like that's an awesome mom. I wish my mom was like that. Yeah. And it's, and it, it, it is so, I'm so glad you named that because I, I think that is triggering. I've seen that so many times and I think, so you're walking around sometimes with a bit of a sadness, you know, when you go into those interactions. And just like you said, even if it's better for you to have more boundaries, we still sometimes grieve what's familiar, even if it wasn't good. You know, it's 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 what we knew. And it can be really scary to go, even if it's healthier, just to be gentle with yourself, because it can be scary to go into sort of a new way of relating. Yeah, I think a lot of people can relate to that. And sometimes we think if we're making a good decision for ourselves and we're cutting someone out of our life, like we should feel good about that. Where most of the time we can make choices for ourselves that are helpful, um, that hurt too. Like it could really hurt to have to separate yourself in this way for whatever reason. So we that's not a clue that you're doing the wrong thing. It's just validating the spectrum of emotions that come up for people in this process. Yes. I'm so glad you said that because I think sometimes boundaries, you know, we think of them like a real empowering Instagram post, you know, like just setting that boundary and, and moving on, but it really is so much more complex and can be emotionally hard. And so I love that you said, you know, you're not necessarily doing the wrong thing if it's emotionally hard. That that might really just be part of it. And I, I love all the boundary talk on Instagram. And I love all the therapists that show up on Instagram now. But it, sometimes it makes it look so easy, right? Like, oh, I'm going to set this boundary and this is what I need to do. But it's so hard for some people to set boundaries, especially for relationships. So boundary setting is a great thing to do, but it can take a long time to figure out what that looks like for everybody. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, is that, if people are used to you and your family with a certain kind of boundaries, they may not be a really big fan of your new boundaries, you know? And so it's not just an empowered moment where you're setting this boundary. You're really, you know, bracing yourself perhaps for the consequences of setting that boundary where they, you might get criticized or everyone's disappointed in you that you're not coming to this event or whatever it is. I love that you bring that up too, because a lot of times I will say to clients, like, are you ready to reap some havoc in your family? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, like we've been talking about this specific boundary that you really want to set. Like it's go time. You need to understand that you will get pushback 
and you will probably get sucked back into old patterns. Are you fully prepared to see that a family works as a system and now with this new boundary, you're changing the system. People are going to have reactions and they're going to be uncomfortable and they're going to fight for the system to go back to the way that it was functioning. So if you walk in with this new narrative of how things should go, it could be chaos for some people. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that's just what it really looks like behind the Instagram post, right? That's what it looks like sometimes in real life. I think one of the things that's helpful is to remember that the boundary is for you. So if you are setting a boundary, it's for your own mental health. Now, And that kind of, it doesn't make it easier, but it simplifies the consequences, right? So if people are freaking out about your boundary, well, that's doesn't mean it's not hard, but that's not why you set the boundary. You set the boundary because you needed it in order to move forward in your own journey. I love that. You know, although people may really want to cut people out of their lives completely, that may not always be the best choice for them. Cutoffs can be reflective of unfinished business that is avoided, and it may not be healthy for you in the long run to have this cutoff. Is there a way people can create a distance without being completely cut off And why can a complete cutoff be unhealthy at times, you think? This is such a good question. And I feel like we could fill an episode with this. It's such a really fantastic question. I think, you know, I think a cutoff can, listen, if if there's an abusive situation, then a cutoff is necessary. Um, But a lot of times that that's not what's happening. And a cutoff can actually keep you almost more entwined with the person because you're sort of um, doing it from this kind of angry stance where you're, you know, um, trying to it almost, it almost leaves you um, more wrapped up in the relationship, whereas setting boundaries can you know, really help you more than a cutoff. And what I mean by that is boundaries can be set implicitly or explicitly. So you can explicitly set a boundary by saying, mom, I cannot talk five times a day. I have a job or I have to go to class. And, and that's uh, so I cannot talk to you. And if I don't answer my phone, that just means that I'm doing something else. And that's what I'm going to need from you. An implicit boundary would be, you don't answer your phone. (laughs) So there's different ways to do it where you say it out loud to the person or where you um, just go ahead and act on it or you do a combination of both. But that can actually leave you feeling more empowered because you're you're listening to what you need and you're stating what you need. Now, it's up to the other person if they're going to respect those boundaries, which, you know, gets complex, of course. But that's really different than a cutoff. Yeah. And I also, you know, along the lines of what we, the information we receive online about toxic people, right? And cutting out toxic people. I think a lot of the messaging people receive is to completely cut people off, right? Whether it's a friend that did you wrong, family member did you wrong, let's cut them out. And sometimes that jumps the gun. And exactly how you said, if they're abusive, if there's abuse going on, yes, right. But there, it's not so black and white. We often have to take time to figure out why we feel wronged and what we can do to improve this relationship to protect our own mental health. And I feel like there's a lot of misinformation out there about, okay, someone bothered you, cut them out. Someone did something wrong, cut them out. And we kind of need forgiveness to show up a little bit more in our friendships and our relationships. We can't jump the gun on that. Um, And we kind of have to find this in-between area of, okay, how can I have this relationship in my life, but make it better for me 
and better for them too at the same time. Because if you set boundaries for yourself, you're probably going to be interacting with this person more positively. And it's a full circle here. So then they might receive you in a better way. And it kind of disengages you from this cycle in between this pattern of dysfunction that you might be in with a family member, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense um, to me. Yeah. And I think I think that, you know, if it comes to a cutoff, maybe is the way we can look at it, right? Then it comes to a cutoff. But there's about 30 to 50 steps that are optional before that, right? Where you can explicitly say what you need. You can implicitly just do what you need also. And if that person cannot meet you in relationship in a way that's respectful of your boundaries, well, then we can look at what what needs to happen next. But I think you're right that we are, there's so much, I think in an effort to empower people, we've sort of, it's gotten a little bit too extreme of sort of just cutting people out. And and that's not necessarily realistic. And, and I think one of the biggest problems with that is if you don't feel like you're able to cut someone out, then you go the other extreme and just have no boundaries, right? And so that's where, that's where I don't think we want to, we want to land either. You know, so it's all that continuum in between. What do you need to be okay in this relationship? I love that. And I think sometimes a complete cutoff can feel worse than it is with having the person in your life somewhat or a little bit, because then you have this cutoff and then you have these feelings attached, this anger, this resentment, this anxiety, this part of your life that you feel really awful about and it's triggering for you. And so sometimes the cutoff isn't helpful. It could be really hurtful because you're suffering more trying to maintain this cutoff than actually trying to have meaningful conversations with somebody. And not that everyone's so receptive to your boundaries, like we were saying before, but it might feel better for you to react to this person differently than just cutting them out. Absolutely. Yeah. I think there's just so much more nuance and gray. And what we're talking about here too is family. Like it's really different than say a coworker, you know, that you're not going to have lunch with anymore. We're talking about family and it's, and there's, there's just so many different layers there that I think we can do a disservice to people when we just make it look as simple as cutting someone out. I love that. And do you think separating from your family of origin and creating these boundaries, is it a quick process or does it take time? I mean, I just love this question because it takes time. You know, again, back to our sort of social media mental health world where I feel like so many of us get so much from that, but there's, it's also um, not realistic about how messy and long a process is, you know, but it, it really can take a long time. And, and it's really important to give yourself permission to be flexible and to change. You know, you might want this kind of boundary with your um, father when you're 20, but you might want a different boundary with your father when you're 28, you know? And so just allowing yourself to grow and flex as you're setting these boundaries or learning about your family of origin, you're actually growing up more and more too. And so it's just important to know that it's a long process and it, nothing needs to be set in stone, you know, just allowing yourself to continue to grow into who you are. I love that. I'm also thinking of people that may have grown up in like a divorced family system and maybe one parent isolated them or alienated them from another parent and they've been told, you know, things about this other parent their whole life and they might mm -hmm. become an adult themselves and start to consider, wait, I've been cut off, not really by choice because it's just happened that way and could I possibly reach out to this other parent and see if there's a way to maintain a relationship, could be very distant, but acknowledge that each other exists and start to talk a little bit and kind of repair a cutoff that's been forced upon them somehow in their family. 
so I think you're so right. Like the stage of your life and the development can change things and it can be really fluid and flexible. Yeah. And I think that that names so perfectly that when we're kids, we don't really have a lot of choices about what kind of relationships we're having, you know, and there's a part of us that knows that and understands that we just kind of have to survive this, you know, or, or if it's good, enjoy it. Um, but as you get older, you really can start to understand and make your own decisions about the type of relationship that was handed to you. Maybe you were told that this aunt is the black sheep of the family, but maybe she's amazing and you really get to know her and really learn a lot from her. Just, I think that that's such an important point that the relationship you were handed doesn't have to be the one that you continue once you are an adult. And I'm also thinking about going back to stages of the life cycle. If you were, you mentioned maybe you were cut off at 20 and at 28, you want to reconnect and it can be fluid and I agree with that so much. And also the stages of life where you're in, let's say you were cut off in your 20s, but now you've become a parent in your 30s and you have your own children and you start to see, I want these other family members back in my life. I've changed my mind about how I feel. And maybe there's a way we can rebuild some kind of connection. I picture people going through that or even could be years later where they find out the family member is near end of life for some reason due to age or illness, they may think, okay, there's a lot left unsaid. This changes my feelings about this. I want to reach out to this person. Yes. And I think, I think that's, that's the danger of a black and white cutoff is that it closes the door for you and it closes the door for options that you may want to choose later. You know, and I think that that flexibility is so important. Um, And it also, you know, now this isn't going to be the case for everybody, but but sometimes parents get better. You know, sometimes parents do their own work. And, you know, if they were, you know, in, in an addiction or struggling with their own mental health, sometimes they get better. And, and there could be an option for not this, not the kind of relationship maybe you always wanted, but a new kind of relationship. So just allowing that sometimes there is a little bit of hope. That's such a good point. And I'm thinking of families that have been touched by addiction or alcoholism. Maybe there are certain periods where the person is actively using and abusing and you need really tight boundaries just for yourself. And then maybe you do see a change and you're like, okay, I can loosen a little bit and let my guard down a little and make some kind of relationship because I know this person's in recovery or they're working on themselves. It could change the way you feel. That's so right, Monica. So this can look really different for everybody. You know, for people that are thinking, my, I know my family's unhealthy for me. There are certain patterns that are extremely dysfunctional. I'm doing the work on myself. I want to create some boundaries. The message we want everyone to know that it's unique in how you separate from your family, how you create a distance. What are these gray areas? There's no right or wrong answer. It's a process that takes time to unfold and think about and can be adjusted. Yes. And I think those nuances are actually where we can find a lot of our own healing you know, and, and they're not, they're not Instagrammable, but those, those nuances and permission and flexibility for us to do what we need and to change our minds um, can be really, really helpful as we grow and change and figure out how we want to interact with our family. Okay. I yelled at my daughter because she decided to dump an entire glass of water all over the bathroom floor on purpose while just looking me dead in the eyes. And in hindsight, it really felt like a mom fail that I reacted that way. 
you know, her spilling the water wasn't even a big deal. It didn't matter. I was just feeling really stressed out about work, getting to the kids to school on time. And it was just one more thing to clean up and deal with in the morning during chaos. And it was a little overwhelming. I'm a busy working mom. And for the longest time, this was almost a daily recurrence, yelling at my kids because I was so stressed out. And it kept happening because I didn't know how to take care of myself and get the care I needed. So instead, I became drained, overbearing, and an irritable mess in the house. (laughs) So now through intentional self-care strategies and some simple techniques for anxiety and stress management that have become non-negotiables for me, I am doing more that I enjoy and stressing less. I want you to have the same relief. I want you to have more days with less mom guilt, more moments of fun and presence with your kids, and making good memories with your family. Also, more of living your life well. Join me for the Path to Peace live group program to clarify and prioritize what you truly want for yourself and your family and learn how to slow down and say no more often to the things that don't align with you. You can learn more about the Path to Peace by clicking the link in the show notes or heading to carinocounseling.com. So here's another thought for you, Monica. People may not want to cut everyone out of their life because they may have some positive connections with individual family members. Um, You know, there might be people that you want to keep a relationship with and others that you want to keep at a distance. Um, You know, I'm thinking maybe you want to still talk to your parents, but it's your siblings that you're trying to separate from. Or maybe you want to maintain a relationship with your siblings, but not your parents. So we're talking about alliances here and triangles and family systems. How do you think alliances and triangles play a role in this whole separation process? I mean, I think they're huge. And I think that, you know, um, I think what can be really helpful, hopefully, is for you to operate as an individual. And that may seem obvious, but to not allow yourself to be put into an alliance or put into a triangle in a family situation that you don't want to be in. You know, um, for example, uh, something that unfortunately I see a lot is a sibling with an addiction problem who perhaps could get violent, right? And so the client is saying to the family, I'm not comfortable seeing this sibling. It's just a boundary for me. I'm not comfortable. But the parents have not set boundaries with the sibling and they want everyone just to be together all the time, right? And then they can try to triangulate you and to say, you know, that you need to do this. Um, But that's where, you know, remembering that the boundary is for you. It's not for them and saying, you know, mom and dad or whatever it looks like for you. I'd love to see you. If you want to have Christmas with the sibling of mine, let's just do a separate celebration, you know, and if they choose not to, well, that's, that will be sad and that's their loss, but just that not um, trying to make sure to maintain your individuality as you set boundaries that people are going to, like you said before, people are going to want the system to operate the way they've always wanted it or the way it has always operated. And it can be really tricky when some people in your family feel safe and other people don't feel safe for you. Yeah. And I feel like most of the time, probably 99% of the time, there's going to be another family member that's trying to make this work, repair the conflict between the two people. And they get in the middle of the triangle and they're kind of like the mediator, the peacemaker, the the one that wants everyone to get along. Maybe it's your parents if you and your siblings aren't talking because of course they want you guys to talk. Maybe it's a cutoff between your sibling and your 
mom and you want them to talk. So you step in and try and repair this or vice versa. There's always someone that's in the middle who tries to repair it because, of course, the family wants peace. Um, But you're right. You have to act as an individual decision maker. And it's really also easy to get sucked into these triangles um, because it feels good. It feels so much more comfortable to just like cave and try and get everyone to get along or just give into your boundary because your family's asking you to because it maintains the peace, you know. So these things are so tricky when separating. It's so tricky and it's so hard. And I think it's so important to have so much self-compassion for yourself if you find yourself in a situation like this. And I think the thing to remember about someone trying to play mediator or triangulating you in a relationship is that's not how a relationship will ever heal. You know, a relationship won't ever heal with a third party playing the in-between. It can only heal between the actual two people where there is something that has gone wrong. So as tempting as it is to say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so said that so-and-so sorry, (laughs) will actually repair the relationship as tempting as it might be to allow yourself to be triangulated like that. And you can simply say, you know, I know you mean well. I know you want everything to be better, but this just really doesn't help. And so I think it'd be best for us to not talk about this third person when we're together. That's such a good example, good way to model that conversation for people. Yeah. And to kind of say, I hear you. I'm in pain about this too, but it's better for you and I to not bring this conflict up. You know, we will enjoy our time together if we're not talking about the cutoff I have or the problem I have with sibling or parent, you know? Yeah, that's amazing. And those are hard boundaries to set with the person that's in the middle. And, you know, having that third person be the mediator enables the dysfunction because the two people in conflict never learn how to really talk to each other. They, then they become dependent on this third party. They always need mom in the room to talk to each other, or they always need brother in the room to talk to each other. So they're, it's enabling the problem. They're not really learning how to have a relationship with one another independently. They depend on that third party to help them. And that's not healthy either. That's right. Yep. I think that's such a great point. And just, and just knowing that that third party probably consciously isn't aware of of enjoying that role, but there might be a part of them that enjoys that role, you know? And so just knowing that if you say, I don't want to do this anymore, I don't want you to be at the mediator anymore. It could be really hard for them to take that, you know, because they feel like they're doing something good or they think they're helping or they think they're getting someone back together, or that's always been their role as a peacemaker. So just remembering that that might be hard for them to hear, but it's still okay for you to ask for that. You know, I can't help again to think about divorce family systems where sometimes it's the child or teenager being the mediator between the two parents, right? And really trying to get the parents to have a positive relationship with each other. So they step into this role of, well, mom said this, or mom said she's sorry, or mom this or mom that to their father or vice versa. So the child or teenager takes on this mediation role, or maybe is put in that role by either parent, and they're sick of this. And so when they become an adult or young adult, they're like, I'm sick of you two. I want nothing to do with either of you because I've always been in the middle. I'm cutting both of you out or I'm just cutting one of you out because this is too much. So I can't, with these conversations, I can't help but think about divorce family systems. Whether your family was divorced when you were a child, teenager, young adult, I can speak for myself. My parents divorced when I was in my late 20s, believe it or not. Um, And I'm, you know, I'm so 
glad that I was, I'd like to say I'm a full grown adult, (laughs) but sometimes I don't feel like I am. But even as an adult trying to navigate the change of the family system and those relationships and see how that unfolds, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult for everybody. It really is. And I think that puts it into perspective, you know, that even as a grown adult, how difficult this new world was, you know, for you to figure out and thinking about kids and that it's it's really hard to figure out, you know, especially when there's tension, um, you know, what to do. And I think I think one of the things to remember is, you know, is if you become adult and say like, you know what, I'm tired of playing this role that sometimes I like to think of boundaries. Like if you've ever been driving on the highway and you know, if you overcorrect, you know, you kind of, you see something and you're trying to swerve out of the way. Sometimes when we first set boundaries, we kind of overcorrect. We might do that cutoff. We might say like, I cannot deal with you guys anymore. And just being really compassionate with yourself and knowing that that might just be a stage of your boundary setting. You might overcorrect first to say, okay, I I cannot do this anymore. And then as you get your footing, you might realize, okay, I can do this a little bit, or I can do this on Sundays for lunch and be able to find something that feels a little bit more doable for your life, but not to, again, with permission, not to hold yourself to, it's very normal to overcorrect when you're setting boundaries for the first time. I love that. And it is a part of the process. And I love how you mentioned, like, I can do this for Sundays for lunch. I'm thinking of conversations I've had with clients about their return home for summer and talking it out with them and saying, should you be getting a job where your college is for the summer and maybe you go home a few weekends or you spend two weeks at home and then you return back to where your school is if, you know, your apartment allows it or your dorm or whatever that is, or should you be working at the school over the summer? Trying to think of creative ways that they love their family. Family. They love seeing them, but they know if it's for three months straight, it's going to be very difficult for them and their mental health. So maybe we can get creative of how much time they should be spending that benefits all of them. If financially they're able to do that, I know that's a privilege for a lot of people to be able to stay at college for the summer or the apartment they rent. Um, so you might have to get creative of what boundaries look like. But that's a good conversation to bring up and to think to yourself, I like seeing my parents, but after 24 hours, I'm done. So it might be just a one night stay and then I'm going back home. Yeah. And you know what? I think that can be really loving. It can be loving to say to yourself and to figure out for your, your interactions with your family, this is the expiration date. You know, after after we're together for three days, there's always a fight, you know, and just and, and knowing that, you know, what is it? Quality is, is better than quantity. You know, that that having a really good interaction, even if it's three days, is probably long term going to feel better for everyone, even if they're begging for you to stay longer. Yep. I totally agree with that. That's so important. And there might be people listening to this and at the end of the conversation thinking to themselves, you know what, I've tried all of this and I still want to create a distance. That's okay too, right? You're allowed to want a distance from your family. We just want you guys to start thinking about how you do it and that doesn't have to be all or nothing. And you know, this conversation is for people kind of speculating and percolating like, I know there's things that are so unhealthy. I don't want to repeat these patterns. I need a distance. You can have that, but we want you to get creative of how you can maintain a relationship, but keep a distance at the same time. And it doesn't have to be every family member that's cut out. It could be 
you know, you maintain contacts with people. You still love your grandparents, your siblings, your parents, whoever it is, you can still have them and get creative of, I loved your suggestion of like, okay, you do the holiday on that day with these people. I'll do, let's celebrate it another day. You can get really creative. I love that. So last but not least, Monica, how do you think culture or ethnicity plays a role into this conversation? You know, this, I think culture and ethnicity are things that need to be considered because different cultures have different expectations of what family roles and relationships should look like. I think that's such a, it's such an important question. Um, And I think that, you know, for all listeners, you know, you are the expert on your own family of origins culture, you know, and so... Um, you know, I'm speaking as a white woman who is, my father is from Spain and my mom is from the South of the United States. So two interesting different cultures. Mm-hmm. And there's, there really are different expectations based on different things. There, there are different expectations for, say, like a fun one for my, you know, my Spanish family. The expectation is to stay at the table for like four hours. That's what a meal is, right? I mean, but so, you know, to remember that one size never fits all. So if this sort of Western, really hyper-independent idea of, um, you know, being your own person doesn't fit with your culture that you grew up in, there is definitely a way for you to hold together your culture and honoring the culture you were raised in and the boundaries that you feel like you need as you become an adult. And that's something that will be layered and and something that maybe, you know, you want to see a therapist that shares some similar cultural background if that is a particular pain point for you in order to really maybe feel seen in that complex conversation. That's huge because I think there is um, this nuance that like independence is prioritized, right? And that might not be in alignment with so many beliefs around what family is for so many cultures out there. Um, And if you are someone that is like, oh, yep, this makes sense. This is why it's been so hard for me. Monica, you're so right. Maybe you can talk to a therapist that has similar values or is raised in a similar culture that can get it and you feel seen by that can support your own plan on how you can, you know, step away from whatever is dysfunctional and create a better relationship. Yes, exactly. And I think it just goes with what we've been saying this whole time is, is really permission for you to tailor make this experience for what you need, right? So whether that's, you know, where you are developmentally, whether that's the culture that you grew up in, you know, learning to set boundaries with your family of origin doesn't have to look like anybody else's. And it doesn't have to be, you know, set in stone. Yeah. So I hope this was helpful for some of our listeners. You do amazing, amazing job of trying to explain this. Um, Sometimes I feel like talking with other therapists, we can get really um, into our themes and and what we've learned in school and you make it so relatable for people listening and so they can apply it to their own lives. So thank you so much, Monica. Oh, you're welcome. It was, it's such an important topic and I just love talking about it today. Yeah. So how can listeners find you and learn more from you? Um, I think the easiest place is um, on Instagram. That's where I'm most active and it's just at Monica D. Christina. There's no H in D. Christina. Um, and there you can find my um, podcast still becoming. It's also on all podcast platforms um, and different articles that I'm writing, um, you know, and different different things like this, like being on your podcast today. I'll, I typically link everything there and it goes to my website, monicadecristina.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Monica. You're welcome. It was such, uh, such a joy to talk to you today. 
I hope you enjoyed listening to the information shared during this episode. Please consider subscribing so you can stay updated when new episodes are released. And don't forget to check out the podcast show notes to find any resources that were mentioned in today's conversation. Thank you for listening and enjoy all the moments your day has to offer you.